like I mentioned, for the rest of this fall till a little after Thanksgiving when we start Advent together. We'll study the Lord's Prayer together. But I think studying won't be enough for us. Uh, You see, as Jesus' disciples followed him throughout his earthly ministry on the way to the cross, and they sat at his feet and they listened to this wild teaching of this world that he was bringing into their midst. This was the world of the Beatitudes, right? Um, A world where the hopeless and those grieving and the humble and the hungry for righteousness, the merciful and the pure of heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, they're all called blessed. They're all privileged in this kingdom. His disciples saw Jesus heal the lame and bring light to blind eyes. He kept going on and on about what his heavenly father was up to. Not only what they should think and what they should do, but how their lives should be signs and instruments and foretaste of this coming kingdom. How they could become what they say. It might seem pretty benign to us out of all the things they could have asked that Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. They might have asked for lessons on how to heal or... um, how to, to usher in the revolution in a more efficient way, but they asked him how to pray because they knew their own tendencies towards pomp and circumstance, how they tended always to shape their lives around themselves. And so they had to learn how to pray. They had to have their lives and their hopes rearranged around the work of the Father. If you're like me, You don't take the practice and the power of prayer all that seriously. This is, the pulpit is always like a confessional booth up here, right? Um, I know when I'm unsure or like insecure, I I normally just fact find more. Uh, You know, I go to Google for it, right? Uh, that'd be a great alternate line for uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Just take it to Google, you know. Um, but that's what my life bears out. Like, that's, that's my practice. If I'm rejoicing and thankful, I normally reach for my camera to try to document it because I, I, I want to live that again. Prayer is rarely my go-to. And I'm a professional Christian, guys. Like, <laughs> there's such a separation between what I know about God and, and how I connect my life to his life with my practice. There's such a disconnection with how powerful it is for God's people to submit themselves in prayer, hearts, minds, souls, and strength to God the Father. All the w- ways that we seek hope or we seek change, we're, we're to be people of prayer. I wish on my average day, especially when I'm on the verge of despair or numbness, when I don't think things can change a whole lot, I believed these words of of Karl Barth when he says, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of the uprising against the disorder of this world. That is the power and potential of prayer, and I wish I believed it. And when I do pray, I... If I feel the need to cultivate a more committed and robust life of prayer, 
my first move again is normally to find a book on it or a devotional guide to lead me through my paces. But when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, his, his response was telling. He starts with the simple words, Our Father who is in heaven. The simple address is the entry, it's the, the gate into prayer, into this prayer that Tertullian referred to as a brief summary of the whole gospel. It's in these words that Jesus is teaching by example. He's showing himself to be the son of the Father who is in heaven. And he's doing it by example because true intimacy can't really be described it only has to be experienced. There's kind of a category error there. It's like when you try to give Cliff's notes to a poem, or um, someone once said if you try to write about music, it's like dancing about architecture. You know, it's just, it's wrong, and, and it's a mixed metaphor. Try to tell someone about how it felt to be welcomed and hugged in a fluffy towel by your mom after a long day at the beach, and, and your description is always going to fall short of what that felt like. But in prayer, we, we slip into the medium of intimacy, of connection and transformation. And Jesus is addressed to his Father who is in heaven does a few things. Uh, uh, I, I think they, they happen then, and I think they happen now for those who follow him. I think the first thing that Jesus' prayer does is, I think it forces us to rehab our image of the Father. It forces us to rehabilitate our, our daddy issues, and I, I don't mean that to minimize it. For some of us, the idea of a father who is in heaven, like a, a heavenly scaled version of our father, is a terrible, dreadful thing. We'd, we'd rather encounter some impersonal machine, like a cosmic ATM or a divine slot machine, than a person who might hurt us. Maybe our picture of dad is clouded by someone who is absent, or abusive, or someone who stunk too much of booze or expected too much from us. Stephen Colbert pokes fun at this and he says, a father has to be a provider, a teacher, a role model, and most importantly, a distant authority figure who can never be pleased. Otherwise, how would children understand the concept of God? That's what he says. All joking aside, though, this week I encountered a woman who, who came to our office and we were able to be uh, especially generous uh, towards her because of the poster sales that we're doing. Um, but after 17 years of marriage, her, her husband and the father of her two kids just walked out on them and left. Uh, I can't imagine to her, her 10-year-old and 12-year-old sons that the idea of a father who is in heaven is all that great of an idea right now. But maybe for some of you, you've had great dads, like, like me. <laughs> this is so strange to have to preach in front of my dad, who is not perfect, I assure you, but who loves sacrificially, who is emotionally invested. But even, even those of us with really great dads are all too aware 
of how our earthly parents let us down. If you want to talk to me during potluck, I can give you a list. Jesus repeatedly, though, throughout his ministry, runs into folks who need their image and their relationship with the Father rehabilitated. I think about in John's Gospel when he encounters a man born blind and, and there's all this speculation about what did this man do wrong or what did his parents do wrong? And they're asking, Rabbi, who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus says, neither he nor his parents. This happens so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. Like their image uh, was so small that when something went wrong, there had to be someone to blame. Instead, Jesus opens up this world of abundance and, and surprising blessing, even in the midst of suffering. Or I think of his parable uh, in that series of lost parables in Luke 15 after he tells the story of the woman who lost a coin or the shepherd who lost a sheep, he talks about a father, a father who, whose lost son, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. He clothed him and remade him into a son. His father says to, to the older son who never left, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive, was lost, and is now found. Jesus is rehabbing these daddy issues. And maybe you read this and, and you're like me and you're a dad and it's, it's kind of scary to read these words, our Father in heaven. It's a pretty serious endeavor. Because if you're a dad, you will... Be an icon. <laughs> You'll be an image through which your kids look and see the Heavenly Father, probably pretty imperfectly, but you will be that icon nonetheless, whether you like it or not. This shouldn't paralyze us, but it should motivate us. It should drive us to repentance for all the ways that we fall short of God's glory. It should inspire us and embolden us to incarnate that heavenly father love to let it be our life's mission to experience and express the love of the father and let that trickle down to our kids to make that huge love small not diminishing it but fleshing it out putting it in a place i think the second thing that jesus's prayer does it Re, it rehabs our image of the Father, but it also renovates our space. Jesus' prayer to our Father who is in heaven, it renovates our space because an astute reader of the Gospels, if you read between these different accounts, you'll notice that the difference between Luke and the difference between Matthew is when they talk about the kingdom. Luke talks about the kingdom of God and Matthew talks about the kingdom of the heavens. It's easy to gloss over this and assume that, this, that they're kind of just synonyms and some commentators have said that. And that's what's going on to an extent, but I think there's something a little more happening because when Matthew tells the good news story, he's keen to emphasize the way that God is with us. From the beginning to the end, chalk through, Matthew's story is a story of Emmanuel. 
Hence, the gospel story gives us this spatial view of the kingdom. That the heavens aren't actually some place out there. We don't jump in a spaceship to be where God is, but God comes down to us. The heavens now surround us. We live and move and have our beings in this God-charged reality. When Jesus opened his mouth to preach, first thing in Matthew's gospel, he says, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. You could reach out and touch it. That means that that incorruptible, that perfect place of God, the throne room of the cosmos, has arrived. Dallas Willard says that it also means that our universe is now a perfectly safe place for us to be. Because God is here. His kingdom has begun to overlap with this broken world in order to redeem it. Light is driving out darkness. So what we're supposed to do, instead of retreating to somewhere safer, or if you think of in terms of your house being renovated, instead of being sequestered until the renovations are over, we're handed a hammer by the Father, a, a, a trowel, and we're told to stop tearing it down and work with God to renew and to renovate. We're to be remade in the image of Jesus, and that means to be part of the remaking of the world. The last thing that I think Jesus' prayer does, not the only thing, but the last thing this morning, Jesus' prayer to our Father who is in heaven, it refamiliarizes us. It makes us family again. It remakes us and reacquaints us with brothers and sisters that we lost or we forgot about. This is perhaps the most key gospel message that the forgiveness of sins by God and the reconciliation and remaking of the world is built, about, built around reforming a family. And not only that, adding to that family's numbers. The whole sweep of the Old Testament is about God calling a people who once was no people unto himself so that they could learn to be loved by God. How to let that healing, secure love overflow into the world. They were blessed to be a blessing. This story continues and it finds its climax in Jesus, God's only Son who gathers the most unlikely people around him, usually at a party. <laughs> but the irony is that in Jesus, not only the strange, like outcast and poor fine family, and kind of a side note of that, it's most, it's most often that these others, like the strange outcast and poor, become strange outcast and poor because of severed ties to their families. Like, if, I, I, have, I have hardly ever met a homeless person who has a great relationship with their family, right? But Jesus also invites the good, the right, and the powerful to have a seat at that table. They might have to lose something to get there, 
but his ministry calls everyone to the table, calls those doing the Father's work, his brothers, his sisters, and his mother. He invites centurions and powerful religious elites in on this open secret of God's love and this powerful movement in the world. Praying our Father, emphasis on the our, means that we pray now since we're sons and daughters, in light of the fact that we're sons and daughters, since we've returned to the Father like the lost son, since we've welcomed a sister who has hurt us back into the family. Have you ever noticed that a, like a family holiday, when you get back with your siblings, how everyone falls back into their like childhood roles like you, you, you might be a completely different person. You might like get rid of all of those ghosts that you had as a kid. But when you come back, like you're going to be treated like you were eight <laughs> by everyone. You're going to slip back into like the petty arguments or the insecurities. Have you ever noticed that you become like a caricature of yourself when you're around those people? This is a danger of being refamiliarized. But because we're able to approach and pray to God as Father, these roles and these stations get knocked down. We have access to a loving Father, and we needn't be constrained by our wounded or our privileged past or what might seem like an inevitable future. Like there's no fate <laughs> in being with a loving father. Praying with Jesus unites you with Jesus' perfect relationship to that father. In Jesus, you are remade into a son or daughter in the shape of the son, capital S. This radically changes the way that we can relate to others. The Apostle Paul deals so much with this in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection. And he writes to the Christians in Galatia, struggling to figure out how to combine these, these sons and daughters who, who in the past were so opposed. He says, you are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then you indeed are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Jesus knew that this sort of intimacy wouldn't be natural for us. This is not something that we'd arrive at by ourselves. That's why we need this good news to invade our reality. So he teaches us. He teaches us like any good older brother. He teaches us how to practice our prayers. He teaches from his own experience too. I think Jesus' practice of praying these sort of our father prayers helped him do two things. I think first it helped him to encounter anyone he ever met as an estranged brother or sister with the possibility of not being estranged anymore. 
Rather than encountering someone as an enemy or a stranger, he saw brother and he saw sister. Think about that. Consider how that expectation might revolutionize your daily life. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. If our world is the space of God the Father, and if the people we encounter walking around are just waiting to be treated like the long-lost brothers and sisters that they already are, think how transformative and how weighty a walk down the street, like walking the dog, could be, right? Or like a work lunch, or an argument with a spouse or a play date at the park. Think how transformative these can be with this sort of our Father who is in heaven perspective. I think the second thing Jesus' practice of praying to his and our Father did on a regular basis was, I think it triggered his ability to pray and to trust and to surrender to this Father when things got really bad, right? In the midst of great fear and suffering and threat, Jesus had the words, our Father, my Father, on his tongue. There's this, there's this expression, it's almost mythic, about the Napoleonic battles, and, and, and the Duke of Wellington supposedly said that the, the Battle of Waterloo was, was won on the playing fields of Eton. Like, and what that's saying is, is far back, back to, to middle school when, when, when they were being groomed and disciplined and working together, um, expressed itself at the moment of trial and travail. I, I think that's the same thing that's going on with Jesus. By the time he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweats blood over the cross to which he's headed, and he prays, Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We'll get to that part of the prayer in a couple weeks. It's amazing that that resurfaces at this time of great need. If you want to have those prayers in your pocket, pray them now. Pray them early. Pray them often. Or from the cross, for our salvation, Jesus cries, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Or a little later, his last words, Father, into your, command, into your hands I entrust my life. I give you my spirit. Father, if you want to suffer well, if you want there to be any redemption in your suffering, there's got to be this sort of intimacy. This sort of trust developed from the deep well of calling on God the Father. That way in the battles of our own lives that we'll win those battles not at the point of suffering or at the point of temptation or at the point of trial, but we'll win those battles from the closets of our homes, our prayer closets is where those battles are won. In the same way, the trust of Gethsemane, the forgiveness and commitment on Calvary was won on the playing fields of this hillside in Galilee when Jesus taught his disciples and teaches us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we pray that you get these words in our bones 
so that when we're pressed or when we're pierced that they might leak out and we might call upon you as our heavenly father who's up to amazing work in this world who's up to amazing work in our hearts father re Habilitate our imaginations for, for what a father is and what a father could be. You search us and you know us. You know our inmost being. You've knit us together in our mother's wombs. Only you, Father. Father, we pray that you continue to renovate our space. We might walk around completely aware of your spirit moving in our midst, your Spirit breathing new life and renewal. Your, your spirit is as fire refining. That we might expect you to be with us because you've told us that you're with us. You've shown us that you're with us in Jesus and in your spirit. And Father, continue to refamiliarize us, introduce us to brothers and sisters we never knew we had. May we, we gather in your name weekly and, and throughout the week as, as small family reunions, Lord. May, when we worship, may, may it be a, a chapter of, of a family reunion worldwide throughout the ages of the people you've called to yourself. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise your name. Amen.